Good evening and welcome again to our Bible study series, Out of Bondage into Abundance. We have come to the end of part six, and I can give you some very good news tonight. We're going to finish this section of conquering the seven nations. So after tonight, all seven nations are under our feet. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us, and we're going in to possess the land. God brought Israel out of bondage, and the whole time throughout this entire process, his vision, his purpose for them was the promised land. It was quite a process getting there, but the Bible says God knows the end from the beginning, and he knows where he wants you and me to end up. And we may be going through trials, battles, difficulties, deserts, valleys, mountains, whatever right now, but God knows where he wants to take us. And he who began the good work in us, he will complete it for the day of Jesus Christ. And the very thing that the enemy wants to do to us is to discourage us. Lo and behold, that's this last enemy that has to be conquered if we're to enter in to the promised land. We have been looking at the seventh and final enemy nation that occupied not only the promised land, but occupied Jerusalem, the very capital of the kingdom of Israel, and David was the only one that could ultimately defeat and drive those Jebusites out of the city that would become Jerusalem, the city of David, and the city of God. And lots and lots of parallels we've seen between that Old Testament picture and the picture for you and me as Christians. Just as David had to conquer the Jebusites to dwell in Jerusalem, the city of God, so there's a heavenly Jerusalem that God is preparing for you and for me. And that place is for the overcomer. So we want to learn from the Old Testament story the truth about overcoming so that we can enter in to our inheritance now. And the opposite of discouragement, of course, is encouragement. And we've been looking at different ways to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we saw way back at the beginning of this section, scripture after scripture, where God told the children of Israel, don't be discouraged, I'm going to be with you, I'll go before you, I'll defeat all of these enemies, just be strong, be courageous, don't let your hearts become discouraged. And so, I think we have to recognize that discouragement is a very common enemy that tries to attack God's people. And therefore, we need to be very well armed and prepared for this thing. And we've been looking at different ways to overcome discouragement or depression. This Jebusite spirit, it literally means to tread down, to to put us under its feet. 
and it makes you feel depressed, it makes you feel no good, it makes you feel discouraged and hopeless and all of that. So the opposite of that is to be hope-filled and encouraged. So we saw, number one, we should learn how to abound in hope. God is the God of hope. The scriptures give us great hope. The second thing we saw, the Jebusites dwelt in what was to become Jerusalem, the city of God. We must have a vision, just like David, to establish our very dwelling in the city of God. Set our face, set our eyes, set our vision and our hope on the heavenly Jerusalem that is described for us in the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, the writer to Hebrews told the believers there, you've not come to Mount Sinai, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And we also highlighted the fact that it was David who conquered the Jebusites. The, the name David in Hebrew literally means love or loving. And so if we're going to really overcome these enemies and enter in to the new Jerusalem, the city of God, and be the bride of Christ, we must love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Peter, after he denied Christ three times. Literally, he disowned him three times in one night. I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. I have nothing to do with this Jesus. Just imagine how discouraged and completely defeated Peter was after all of that. But after meeting Jesus in his resurrected state, Jesus only had one question for Peter, and he posed it to him three times. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And so I think the, the spirit of David, loving God, just wanting to be near God, wanting to be in his presence, wanting to worship him and, and walk with him, that's the spirit that we must cultivate. And trust me, that will keep us encouraged. When we love the Lord with our whole heart, yeah, we're going to have problems, we're going to have battles, we're going to have persecutions, but in our heart of hearts, we stay encouraged. We looked at two other things last time. They're related. We must encourage one another daily. There's a lot in the New Testament about us encouraging one another. And sometimes there's no one around to encourage us. Then we need to go to point number five, which is encourage yourself in the Lord. And sometimes we're going through a valley, we're going through a dark time, we just need to stand up in our living room or in the shower or in our car or wherever we are and start quoting scriptures out loud that declare who we are in Christ, 
what God has promised to do, and just put the devil to open shame. And, you know, there's a choice that we have to make. We can either just cave in and let depression and discouragement sweep over us, or we can take the Word of God and use it as a mighty weapon, like we're told in Ephesians 6, the, the sword of the Spirit, and start confessing out loud, I can do all things through Christ. God is with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. And in that way, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Now, we've come to the last two points in our outline, and if you are following in the notes, uh, all of the outline notes and recordings for this entire series are available at our website, which is new-life-ministries.org. And again, the entire study is entitled, Out of Bondage into Abundance. We are now page 143 of the outline, and this is part six. And we want to look at number six in this list of things we can do to defeat discouragement, depression, despair, this Jebusite spirit. And I like this number six. This one is a powerful, powerful weapon against depression and discouragement. Put on the garment of praise. And I chose those words deliberately from the scripture that we're going to read. And when we change our clothes, we take off the soiled, old, dirty clothes, and we put on fresh garments. It's something we do. We have to put it on. And that's exactly the language that we see here in the Bible. Here again, you can choose to have a pity party and be down in the dumps and sing woe is me and nobody loves me and nothing good ever happens to me. Or you can be proactive and just make up your mind like we heard on Sunday. I am determined. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord no matter what. The key verse here is Isaiah 61, the passage that Jesus quoted right after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and came back from the wilderness. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4. I'm reading from the New King James Version here. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise 
for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And again, this is the very passage that Jesus read when he stood up in the synagogue after returning from the wilderness. Bible says he came back in the power of the Spirit. This was after his baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, spending 40 days fasting in the wilderness. He stood up and read these very words, and after sitting down, he very quietly said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Wow, what a powerful moment that must have been. The Spirit of the Lord is now upon me. He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Notice some of the words in this prophecy. Poor, brokenhearted, captives, prisoners, bound, those who mourn. It actually mentions that three times. To comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, talks about the need to rebuild old ruins, raise up former desolations, repair ruined and desolate things. So, the good news of the gospel comes to people in these conditions, poor, broken-hearted, sad, depressed, mourning, under a spirit of heaviness. And the ultimate answer is not just, you know, seeing a therapist or having a counselor tell you, uh, you're okay, everything's going to work out, buddy. What we need is a visitation from God. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. And the anointing brings healing. It brings comfort. It brings joy. And what I want to zero in on here in particular is the oil of joy for mourning. There's a there's an exchange that takes place here. He gives you beauty in place of ashes. Everything's burned up. It's ruined. Desolate. You feel dried up. Your life is ruined. Everything's burned up. He can give beauty for those ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. And the garment of praise in place of or in exchange for the spirit of heaviness. This is one of the clearest scriptures I can think of where we find out that heaviness, that feeling of depression and discouragement and just 
like the weight of the world is on you. It's a spirit. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed, but it's a spiritual ill. And spiritual ills need spiritual cures. That's why this portion of Scripture is so important and so powerful. The cure for a spirit of heaviness is to get filled with the Holy Spirit, and that oil of the Holy Spirit begins to lift off that mourning, sadness, the the heaviness, and in place you begin to rejoice, and more specifically, you begin to praise God. It says very specifically the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And we all know that garments are things that have to be put off and they have to be put on. Nobody else is going to do it for you. You have to dress yourself. You have to put on this garment. And it's interesting that God would use that terminology. We wouldn't normally think of praise as a garment. But I think he uses that metaphor to emphasize the fact this is something you and I can put on whenever we want to. You may be going through the worst day of your life. You can still put on any garment that you want. Job was going through the worst day of his life, and yet the Bible says he worshipped the Lord. And so we don't have to be controlled by emotions and circumstances. We can be proactive, and even in those dark, heavy times, put off that spirit of heaviness and put on the garment of praise. And like wearing a dress or a suit or a shirt and tie, this actually becomes a part of you. You're clothed now with praise. Put on the garment of praise. You know, time does not allow us tonight, but we could look at psalm after psalm after psalm in the Bible. I love the book of Psalms. And I think when I was new in the Lord, and the first time I read through the book of Psalms, I noticed many of the Psalms, whoever's writing the songs, they seem to be going through some real depression and some real hard times, being uh, persecuted and hated and, and all this stuff. And I wondered, why are all these songs in the Bible? Well, by and by, I started to have some of my own experiences, and I realized why the Psalms are there. They encourage us because we see other saints of God who were going through very difficult times, but even in those difficult times, they learned how to put on the garment of praise and sing to the Lord and worship the Lord. A scripture we read a while back in this study, I want to return to again. It's in Psalm 42, and we'll read from verse 5 to 11. This is very common 
to find these kinds of expressions in the book of Psalms where the the songwriter was going through a very dark valley, a very difficult time. Many of the Psalms ask questions. Lord, where are you? How long is this going to keep going on? Why, Lord, is this happening to me? This is one such case. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. We, we use this verse to talk about the need to abound in hope. But notice the next part. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, just pause there for a minute. There's a very important word that we just read there. It's the word yet. I will yet praise him. In other words, in spite of everything that's going on in my life, I'm still going to praise the Lord. I'm, I've made a decision, even though my soul is downcast, I'm, I'm disturbed inside. I don't have real peace in my heart right now, but I must make a decision to put my hope in God and then start praising him. Why? Because he's my Savior and my God. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Verse 8, by day, the Lord directs his love at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And then he repeats the same refrain. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Well, he answers his own question. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You know, the Bible talks about offering the sacrifice of praise. That's also an interesting expression. Praise is not something we just do when we feel happy or feel good. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to open your mouth and start singing to the Lord, start praising God for who he is, worshiping him the way Job did on that terrible day in his life. And I want to read the passage of scripture where that verse is found and I want to get some context because it's very interesting Hebrews 13 we've already talked about the fact that the Jebusites lived in Jerusalem the city of God and the previous chapter of Hebrews Hebrews 12 we read talks about coming to Zion 
coming to the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, in chapter 13, the writer is still on that theme. And in verse 12, Hebrews 13, 12, it says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Well, we know what that city is. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 15, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, not just on good days, not just when we feel up, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that confess his name. Most of you have heard me say, I learned something years ago from a very wise uh, old man of God that I met in India. He sat me down one day. I was just a young whippersnapper then. And he said, you know, Wayne, there are only two times in life where you must praise the Lord. And he got my attention. I was very curious. Only two times? And I was ready to write this down in my little notebook that I carried with me. He said, yes, we must praise God when we feel like it, and we must praise God when we don't. Well, that's basically what this verse says. Continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. One thing that I love to do when I read through the Psalms I like to look at the little subtitles. That's the fine print at the very beginning of the psalm. And a number of David's psalms, they give you a great deal of insight into what was happening in his life when he wrote that particular song. And I love to find out the stories behind famous songs and famous hymns, and a lot of them have great stories behind them. Well, Psalm 34 is one of my favorite psalms of David, and it starts off, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. That's what we just read in Hebrews. Praising God all the time. How could David praise God all the time? Especially in light of the little subtitle that comes just before this. It says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. You can read about that whole story in 1 Samuel. It was a very low day. In David's life. He had defected from Israel. He was trying to join the Philistines, the very ones 
that he had fought against and defeated their champion, Goliath. Now he's crossed over and he's trying to join up with the Philistines because Saul, the king of Israel, is chasing after him, trying to kill him. Well, even the Philistines didn't want David, and so he pretends to be a madman, lets spit run all down his beard, he's scratching on the gate like some kind of a crazy, and the Philistine king said, I got enough madmen, I don't need another one like him, get him out of here. And with all that going on, David goes to a cave. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 22. It's called the Cave of Adullam. And in that cave is where he sang Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And if you read the rest of the psalm, you would never imagine that he was in a cave in such a bad situation, and yet so upbeat in his spirit. And that's what praise does to you. You put on the garment of praise, and it lifts you up. It encourages you. And you you almost forget about all of your problems because you're, again, focusing your attention on the solution, which is the Lord. So putting on the garment of praise is the same thing as offering the sacrifice of praise. And God doesn't tell us it's always going to be easy. That's why it is a sacrifice. And quite frankly, uh, more often than not, we may not really feel like singing. We may not really feel like praising God, but we do it anyway because it's good for us. There's another passage that I want to read, and it also contains this key word that we just highlighted a moment ago, the word yet, yet will I praise him. Uh, this is not found in your notes, but it's, it's in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, and I'll read from verse 17 to 19. It says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, here it comes, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now, we don't, at least most of us, we're not farmers. We don't, our, our livelihood doesn't depend on us having a fig crop or grapes on the vines or an olive crop or sheep, cattle in the stalls or what have you. 
but I think you get the picture that what we're really seeing here is things were not going very well. Though the fig tree does not bud, no grapes on the vines, olive crop fails, we could update the language a little bit. Though I've lost my job, I have no money in the bank, I'm, I've been unemployed for eight months, I have no prospects of getting a job, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and on and on it goes. This was a bad situation. Everything's failing. The crops are failing. The, the sheep are dying. The cattle are dead. Everything's drying up. Nothing seems to be working out. But I love this word, yet. In other words, I'm facing all of these problems, everything that's going on in my life. I, I'm aware of it. Nevertheless, in spite of all that, I'm still determined to rejoice in the Lord and to be joyful in God my Savior. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. I believe that when you make that decision in the face of what seems to be total failure and everything collapsing around you, when you make that decision and say, okay, this is a bad day, nevertheless, yet, in spite of all that, I'm still going to praise God. I believe when you flick that switch you're putting on the garment of praise. And immediately, God starts to change you. He makes your feet like the feet of a deer. You're no longer down in the dumps. You're no longer down in the valley. He enables me to go on the heights. God begins to lift you up into heavenly places. You begin to go up into higher realms as you praise God and rejoice in Him. And notice what it says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Not in my circumstances. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because He never changes. I'm going to be joyful in God, my Savior. You see... God is our Savior on good days and bad days. My sins are forgiven. I have eternal life on a good day just as much as I do on a bad day. So I can praise God for my salvation, praise God for the cross, praise God that I have a Savior and a, a rich salvation any day of the week. And so... This is a very important step toward overcoming depression and discouragement. You know, we often think, well, I'll wait until my situation gets better, and then I'll go back to church, and then I'll start praising the Lord again. No, you'll never do it. It'll never happen. You need to make your mind up right now. In my situation right now, I'm going to start praising God. I'm going to start rejoicing in the salvation that I have through 
Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, you're going to find the Spirit of God starts to lighten you. He starts to take away that spirit of heaviness, set you free from that oppression and depression, and you start to go on the heights. He gives you the feet like a deer to leap over the mountains. All right, much more we could say about that, but I think you get the idea. Paul and Silas, they were in stocks in prison. They had been beaten. In Acts 16, we read about it. At midnight, what are they doing? They're singing praises to God. Blood dripping down their backs. I'm sure they felt lots and lots of pain. They wondered if they were ever going to get out of this alive, but they're praising God. And as they sang their praises in that situation, God shook that prison with an earthquake, and God began to do amazing things in that place. You know, there is power in praise. When we praise God, there's real power that is released to work in our situation. And the contrary is also true. When we get depressed and discouraged and all we're saying is, I'm never going to make it, nothing good's ever going to happen, God doesn't answer any of my prayers, I'm always going to be a loser, guess what? You're pretty much sealing your own doom. You're digging your own grave. The only way out is to start confessing God's word, start praising the Lord for who he is. You know, when Job fell down and worshipped God after his whole life fell apart, he wasn't praising God for his wonderful circumstances. He was worshipping God because God is God, period. We worship God because of who he is not because of our circumstances. And so we need to come to that place where our praise and our worship toward the Lord has nothing to do with situations and circumstances. It's just simply because he's worthy. He deserves that praise, that glory, that worship 24-7. Okay, seventh and last point we want to make here on how to defeat this Jebusite spirit. This is related a little bit to the previous point, but we're going to separate it out. Stay filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. We saw that in Isaiah 61, Spirit of the Lord God, uh, has anointed me, and when that anointing comes upon us, it changes mourning into joy, it changes heaviness into praise, and so forth. But we want to look at some other scriptures related specifically to the Holy Spirit. Point six was emphasizing putting on the garment of praise. Point seven is the deliverance that comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Isaiah 10, 
verse 27, there's a rather obscure verse, and I'm going to cite it from the King James, because some of the other translations read a little bit differently, and this is the way I learned it. And I'll be very honest with you, I love this promise, and I've seen it work hundreds and hundreds of times, so I know it's the truth of God's Word. Isaiah 10.27, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. You know, the Bible talks about burdens, weights, and yokes that come upon us. There's a good yoke. Jesus talked about taking his yoke, and the picture here is, um, in those days, they had a heavy wooden yoke that went around the neck of the oxen. And the, the picture here is, there are often heavy things. We just read about the spirit of heaviness in Isaiah 61. These heavy yokes that come upon us speaks about bondage, speaks about things that enslave us and weigh us down, talks about the burden being taken away from your shoulder and the yoke coming off of the neck. And then it says, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. You know, Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus never cast out a single demon until the anointing of the Holy Spirit came upon him. We should pay close attention to that. It's the anointing that drives out demons. It's the anointing that breaks these spirits of heaviness and depression and oppression. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that breaks off bondages, yokes, weights, addictions, things that enslave our minds, enslave our passions. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is what breaks those things off of people's lives. And in Acts 10, verse 38, another familiar verse that connects the anointing with breaking oppressions. Acts 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, this is a fascinating scripture, and there are a number of points here we want to make quickly. First of all, please note the source of oppression. It's the devil. The devil, just like the Jebusites, is the one who likes to plaster us down, press us down, make us feel low, weighed down with cares and burdens. 
oppressions come from the devil, they're healed or they're broken by Jesus, but more specifically, it's the anointing that was upon Jesus. Notice that. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. There is no record whatsoever in any of the four Gospels that prior to Jesus' baptism and his being filled and anointed by the Holy Spirit, no record of him casting out even a single demon. He never did it. But as soon as he came back in the power of the Spirit and read those very words from Isaiah 61, now the anointing has come upon me. Man, he went everywhere casting out demons, healing the sick, breaking bondages off of people's lives. There was one woman who was crippled and bent over. Jesus said, Satan has kept this woman bound all these 18 years. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit breaks the yoke, breaks off these heavy bondages, things that oppress us and depress us. So again, we've looked at seven things, all mentioned in the scriptures, that God has put at your disposal and mine to make sure we stay encouraged. Be encouraged in the Lord. And, you know, I've noticed one thing over the years. People who have learned some of these uh, things that we're talking about, they've learned how to keep their hope in God. They've learned how to praise God at all times, regardless of what's going on in their lives. There's something different about people like that. They just seem to emanate or project a kind of a positive spirit. And people around them feel that encouragement. They feel that positive energy, if you will, coming from them. And I'm sure you've had the opposite experience, too. There are certain people that are just always sour. They're always negative. They're always discouraged. And they may not mean it, but they're discouraging. <laughs> Every time they open their mouth, discouraging things come out of their mouths. And I mean, come on, who wants to be around that spirit all the time? I like to be around people who are upbeat positive, praising God, talking about the hope we have in Christ. And so God does not want even one of his children to be discouraged. He wants us to have eternal encouragement. And if you read through the book of Acts, everywhere the apostles went, they took encouragement with them. And wherever the Holy Spirit was allowed to move and to work, he brought encouragement to the people. Look at one scripture. This is not found in your notes, but it's in the book of Acts, chapter 9, 
Lots of verses in the book of Acts that talk about encouragement. If you have a chance, look at a concordance and just look up the word encourage or encouragement and you'll find a number of references just in the book of Acts where it talks about how much they were encouraging one another in the Lord. But this verse is a little different. Acts 9, verse 31. It says, The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Very interesting. The church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. How much we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives, in our churches, when we pray, when we preach, when we fast, when we teach Sunday school, whatever we do, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For the anointing is what breaks yokes and weights. All right. We are done with the seven nations now. And in conclusion, I want to read two passages from the book of Joshua. Remember, Joshua was the commander that led them across the Jordan into the promised land. And those seven wicked nations that occupied Canaan, Joshua knew what his assignment was. It was to defeat and drive out those enemy nations. And as he was coming to the end of his life, he gave an important address to the Israelites, reminding them of God's faithfulness, how his word and his promises had never failed them, God had been with them, God had done all that he promised to do for them, and now it was time for them to go in and take possession of the land, which is what we're going to look at starting next week in the seventh and last part of this whole series. Now that the seven nations have been conquered, one final thing remains. We must possess the land. Well, in Joshua 23, I'm going to read from verse 1 down to 14. Joshua 23, 1 to 14, and then we'll read another section in chapter 24. Here we go. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. Stop right there. I've got it in bold type in the outline. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations. So he draws 
particular attention to the seven nations and to what God had done for Israel in defeating those nations. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. That's the final thing now that needs to take place. As these enemies have been pushed out, now you must take possession of their land. Verse 6, be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Pause for a minute. Just because your enemies are defeated, just because you're now in the promised land, don't forget God's word. That's what got us here, trusting in the Lord. Be careful to keep obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. No compromise. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Verse 9. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. This is important to pause again here for a minute. These enemies that we're conquering in our lives, they're, they're no small thing. These are powerful enemies. Very powerful. So powerful, we can't do it in our own strength. We need the Lord, just as the Israelites needed the Lord to help them. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. In other words, be careful. Don't make any compromises now. God's brought you this far. Don't go back now and try to copy these nations. Don't go back and try to be friends and make peace treaties with these nations. God wanted to destroy those nations. That's why he brought you in here. He'll destroy you too if you go back 
and make alliances and marriages and treaties with them. They will become snares, traps, whips on your backs, and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land. Verse 14. Now, I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. What a powerful testimony to God's faithfulness, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. Not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every one of them has been fulfilled. And then jumping to the next chapter, Joshua 24, from 11 to 13. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and last but not least, the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Translation, this is all by grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't build it. You didn't even win the battles. God fought the battles because he promised to do this. None of his promises failed. Now you're about to take possession of a good land. And just remember... I'm giving this land to you. It's a gift. It's an inheritance. I gave you a land on which you did not toil, cities you did not build, and you will live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. This is not by works. It's by grace. And so... Next time, we've come to the final step in this whole long process out of bondage into abundance. It's now time for the Israelites to literally take possession of the land. They're in the land. They've driven out the enemies. But there's a distinction that is often made in the scriptures between coming into the land, conquering those nations, and actually settling down and making it their land. Taking possession of the land, farming the land, living in the houses, making it their dwelling. So that's what awaits us in part 7, entitled, 
possessing the land. More about that next time. Let's close in prayer tonight. Father God, I thank you that you are a faithful God. Lord, what a testimony. Not one of all the good promises the Lord gave us has ever failed. Everything he promised has been fulfilled. How much more those exceeding great and precious promises that you've given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, the God who cannot lie, the God who we're told in Scripture it's impossible for you to lie. Lord, we can trust you. We can be confident tonight that if we trust in you with our whole heart, you will take us in to the inheritance that you have promised for us. Lord, we acknowledge tonight it's not by our goodness, it's not by our righteousness, it's not even by our works. This is by grace and grace alone. And for that, we are eternally indebted to you. We are eternally grateful to you. God, help us to wear, not just put on, help us to wear the garment of praise continuously, blessing, praising, thanking our God for such a great and a rich salvation. God, I pray for everyone on this phone line, on the Internet, listening to this Bible study recording. I pray, O oh God, for an opening of the eyes, a revelation of who you are and what it is that you've purposed and promised to do in each and every one of our lives, taking us out of the bondage of sin into an abundant life in Jesus Christ, a spirit-filled, overcoming life, and, Lord, a life that will eventually take us to heaven, to the city of the living God, to an eternity in that place with you that is now being prepared. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your great power your great love, and your great faithfulness. Bless and keep each and every one now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.